the Academy Award-winning director, Steven Soderbergh. Brett Favre claims not to know what a podcast is. If you know I have a podcast, Brett. Did you know that? Um, no, you don't know what a podcast is. <laughs> Reggie Wayne, Rhett Edward. I had a, a, a pet snake mm-hmm. by the name of Law. I'm not a snake fan. I don't like snakes. Why is a snake in the house? I get a, a, a text on my two-way. Law dead. <laughs> Chris Cooley threatened to prank call me. Tyson, how are you? This is David Dunn. Did I see you, No, you didn't because I'm recording this thing right oh, now, no, dude. No, no, no. This You're is the, the podcast. Uh, You're the Andy best. Reed did not call Tim Tebow last night. <laughs> too much. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen podcast, coming to you from the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. We are on the outset of the 50th anniversary celebration of this wonderful jewel of a facility right off of I-77 in the birthplace of football, Canton, Ohio, Stark County, Ohio, where thousands upon thousands of volunteers have been working tirelessly all year long to make sure that this induction ceremony weekend goes off without a hitch. And uh, good to see you here, Chris Law. You're all the way out here in Ohio with me. Good to see you, buddy. Yes, good to see you, Rich. Thanks for having me. And you're out here also to... um, to produce the Rich Eisen Hall of Fame special, if I may call it that. Of course. Our Hall of Fame special that airs Wednesday night on NFL Network at, uh, do we know what time that airs? It's 10 p.m. Eastern. 10 p.m. Eastern time, Correct. a nice time slot. Yes. Uh, and it will include the conversations that you're about to hear in full. Jim Kelly, the Pro Football Hall of Famer from uh, Western Pennsylvania by way of Western New York, the Buffalo Bill Hall of Fame quarterback will be here just mere weeks after having surgery for jaw cancer. It's incredible. Uh, I thought there was no way that that he would be here this weekend based on that news that we read a few weeks ago that he had jaw, jaw cancer and needed surgery for it, but he's here. Yeah. And uh, we'll be chatting with him for not only this podcast, but for the special next Wednesday night at 10 Eastern time. And also Howie Long will join us for this show and that show that's next week as well. Firestorm. Is that what you say? That's that's, that's what I you think. think no, of, of you course think of not. Like, no. Well, I know. Well, I mean, he's in, I guess, the the uh, Firestorm Hall of Fame as yeah. well. But uh, Howie's here. Um, two kids in the league now. It's two. Uh, Six Chris years Long. Now? Chris, say that again. Six years now for Chris Long. Chris Long, second overall choice of the St. Louis Rams six years ago. Really? Six years ago. Yeah, wow. 2000, uh, 2000, yeah, that's quick math. 2008 draft. 2008 draft. Unbelievable. And now Kyle Long, who's a first-round choice for the Chicago Bears, trying to shore up that offensive line um, for, for Jay Cutler. Who needs it because he's been the most sacked quarterback, what, the past three years, I think? So Kyle Long and Chris Long are in the NFL. And his, son, his other son, Howie Long, it's not, I don't believe, I'll ask him if it's Howie Long the, the second or not, but at any rate, his, his, his other son is working for the Raiders. And so he's got technically that. three sons in the NFL, two on the field, and the two sons are going to play against each other on Thanksgiving Sunday. Now that's a predicament. Bears because... and Rams. So, I mean, it, it's a lot to talk about with Howie Long. You see him on Fox, too. So, um, But just for this 
uh, show, this audio version, uh, we chat with Chris Collinsworth, the longtime Cincinnati Bengal, and um, uh, I, I can't even fathom how many Emmy Awards he's won as a, a broadcaster. Um, he's in the Sunday Night Football booth this Sunday for the Hall of Fame game with Al Michaels, who tonight at the jacket ceremony in Canton, Ohio, Friday night, goes in as the Rosell Award winner. And you're announcing that, correct? I'm hosting that. As soon as I'm done with this right here, uh, putting this show in the can, as they say, I'm going to head over to the, the uh, Civic Auditorium and second year in a row that I'm hosting that event. Um, so that's the night that the, all I the Hall of Famers... I track of how many get, years I've... Actually, did I do this? I did that last year. You did yeah. it last year, and you also did the Sunday... Yeah, I did the, the Friday the gold, and Sunday. The Enshrinees Roundtable. The Enshrinees Roundtable. Basically what happens, for those who, who are uninitiated, uninitiated at it, is we are at the, uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame right now on the Friday afternoon, right across from the new brand spanking new, I guess... Uh, luncheon area, or they have some sort of banquet room here. Yes, they call it the Ralph Wilson Jr. Wing. It's the Ralph, yeah, Ralph Wilson Jr., who's the Hall of Fame owner and contributor of the Buffalo Bills, who contributed quite a chunk of change to help refurbish this this place. That's again celebrating its golden anniversary this weekend. But anyway, the Ray Nitschke Luncheon, uh, which is held every Friday of the Pro Football Hall of Fame weekend. Um, named after the Hall of Fame linebacker of the Green Bay Packers, who started a luncheon every single year for all the Pro Football Hall of Famers who returned to go and meet the incoming class and essentially haze them yes. to let them know you're great, you're about to be immortalized just like us, but you're, you're still though, rookies. Right? right, they don't speak. They're rookies. Once again, for the last time in their lives, they're rookies, and they listen to the Hall of Famers talk about what it means to them to be Hall of Famers, and normally, more often than not, Deacon Jones is the guy who, who, who rules that roost. Yeah. So this year, there'll be a bunch of um, uh, all returning Hall of Famers who I guess will fill that void now that you know, Deacon passed away a couple months ago. But long story short, for the first time, I believe, ever, they're holding it at the Pro Football Hall of Fame because they have this new room in this new wing, and we're right across the hall from it. Correct. And as soon as Kelly and Hot Long come out, we're going to sit them down. I take care of you, Rich. I got you set you up. You do. Right I mean, we are geographic. we're in a geographically perfect spot. Uh, once that's over, tonight is the jacket dinner at the Canton Civic Auditorium, as we described last week. And that's in downtown Canton? Yes. That's where they're going to get their jackets tonight. The, the current uh, Hall of Famers get the first tangible item that they can touch, feel, wear that... Uh, makes them a Hall of Famer. If you're getting a jacket, do you build some wiggle room into that jacket? Of course. Knowing for years? Well, they, 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 get, they get fitted for it. They get fitted for it, but they sit there for their... Bu- I mean, this is a months-long process. Yeah. You sit for your bust. You get fitted for your jacket. You get fitted for your Hall of Fame ring that you're going to get later on in the fall. Uh, I wonder if Parcells is going to have his ring ceremony. Because that's, you know... you. So many times I get asked, I even got asked today, what's Parcells going to go in as? A giant, a cowboy, a jet, patriot... And it's, gotta be a and it's not the it, well, it's not like the baseball hall of fame. You don't go in as something; you just go in as yourself in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But you normally do have a team function, a team-related aspect of your induction in the fall when you get your ring. So Rod Woodson got his ring clearly in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Even though he did have a cup of coffee in San Francisco, he did win his win his Super Bowl in Baltimore. He got his Hall of Fame and ring in Pittsburgh. And he was with the Raiders for a while too. Sure. 
Um, so the question, we, we all know Ogden will get his in Baltimore, yep. Warren will get his in Tampa, so on and so forth. Larry Allen in Dallas, Chris Carter in Minnesota. Not Philadelphia. I doubt it. Fortunately, that didn't I work out it. for I, Buddy Ryan won't give him that ring, because no. that's all he does is, is catch touchdowns. That's all he does. That's all he does. Um, so I don't know where, where Parcells is going to get his ring. I'd imagine with the Giants. That makes sense. Two, two Super Bowls. Yeah, I'd imagine it's with the Giants. Be. But um, in, in between the ring this fall and the Jackets tonight, they get their busts on Saturday. Those are the three physical items that are associated with going into the Pro Football Hall. What are the odds that Warren Sapp doesn't say a word during that luncheon? There's, there's uh, no chance. There's no, I mean, well, Warren, actually, I, I would believe that Warren would sit there and say nothing. He does respect this. Warren, this is, this. Warren this, is, this is hallowed ground yeah. for Warren. And he has been walking on air since that February Saturday yeah, before the Super Bowl that he found out he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, not everyone in that room, in that Nitschke luncheon room, can say they were a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, a lot of guys waited a long time. Harry Carson is going to be part of our coverage on Saturday on NFL Network, talking about Parcells and what he meant and what the coaching style was. I mean, Harry waited a very long time, yeah. and there's people who even waited even longer. Jack Butler last year. That's sitting in the room, right. So, uh, at any rate, so Jim's going to come out, and how he's going to come out, we're going to sit him down. But let's get this started right now with the conversation I have with the partner of the Roselle Award winner, Al Michaels, who... I can't believe he's finally getting his award. I would have thought he would have gotten it a long time ago. But uh, here I am now with Chris Consworth. He is the perennial Emmy Award winner for Best uh, In-Game Analyst. He is also the partner of the man who's getting the Roselle Award this weekend. Long overdue at the Pro Football Hall of Fame and Al Michaels. Pleased to have back on the Rich Eisen Podcast, Chris Collinsworth. How are you, Chris? Good, Rich. How are you, bud? I'm fine. How, how, I mean, you've worked with some all-time greats. And, yeah. and you've been <clears throat> fortunate to be next to some, some great announcers. How much of a Rolls-Royce is Al Michaels, Chris? You know, I, I think things that I wouldn't even take, uh, just take for granted, that, I, I, that unless you were a broadcaster, you really wouldn't understand. And I try to explain this to people, and they look at me like I have four eyes, you know. And, and, but the, the number one thing that Al Michaels it has perfected is the tone of the broadcast and it sounds like nothing you know it sounds like uh, what are you talking about but as a young broadcaster the hardest thing for me to do was to figure out you know when i should be excited when we should be understated when we should be quiet when we should say nothing at all when we should be in a discussion, when we should be highly focused on analyzing a play, when we should, be, you know, and, and all those things, and, and there's a magic to it. Uh, and people who really understand the business uh, really understand that, that, that the are enhanced by great broadcasters. You know, I mean, we, you know, the classic example, of course, is, you know, do you believe in miracles? And, and the punctuated with, yes, you know, one of those kinds of things. And, and it brings chills to you almost just thinking about the moment now because you remember the brought the call as much as, you know, you do anything else. Uh, Jack Buck, you know, when it, when the, that home run was hit, you know, and, and, you know, I can't believe what I just saw, you know, right, one of those sure. kinds of things. And he's just magical. I, I don't even think about that in the broadcast anymore. I just play follow the leader. I just go wherever he goes. And on top of that, he has an incredible grasp on the rule book, sometimes faster and better in real time than the referees 
themselves. He is remarkable in knowing in knowing what's going on and how uh, how it is going to work out in the adjudication of the game. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you know, what people don't know, and I have a lot of people that that always talk to me about broadcasting, and and what most people don't realize is that these guys are are geniuses. I mean, as far I mean, just at remembering facts and figures and what's happened, and you know, I mean, I, I've heard Bob Costas and Al Michaels discussing. You know the 1977 World Series in the seventh <laughs> inning, and they can go friggin' pitch by pitch. It makes me insane. You know, I'm mean, like, get out of here. How do you remember? I can't even remember the games I played in. I don't even remember our details of the Super Bowl. How could you do that? Uh, but you know, that really comes in handy when you're talking about rules, because I don't think it's so much that Al sits down every night and studies the rule book, but when he's seen something. He remembers it, and and you know usually if you've been doing something for twenty five years or whatever he's been doing it, you know you've seen pretty much everything over that time, and and he can recall it. And he's you know as I mentioned earlier on this podcast, he he's already in the Television Hall of Fame. I mean he he's already in the Hall of Fame for the medium period, uh, so it's long overdue that he's getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, although it is fitting that on the golden anniversary, he's the name that they put in. Uh, and for the Roselle Award, so it, it is sort of fitting for that, wouldn't you agree, Chris? Well, I, I, you would be hard pressed for me to back anybody getting in before Al Michaels. Now, I don't even that's, know who's that's in. True. So I, I'm not. I don't mean to insult anybody. But not at all. You're... As far as the the voice of the National Football League and prime time and what you think of with big moments. Uh, his Super Bowl call in Pittsburgh and Arizona, you know, I, I thought was brilliant uh, all the way through. You know, we were on the broadcast listening to it, and I just there are just so many moments where you know, if you sat back and listened to one of those broadcasts from 20 years ago, you go, "Wow, that guy was really good." Well, you know, <laughs> 20 years later, he's he's even better than what he was then. So I'm sure there are other great broadcasters in the Hall of Fame ahead of Al, but. For my money, you know, he's the best that there's ever been. He is. You're not wrong. I agree with you. And now, and it, it's it's incredible, Chris. Too. I mean, the, you know, I know you definitely. I've spoken to you off air too. You consider yourself fortunate with with your post playing career and who you've been working with, and now you're working with Al. But you're working with Al also at a time where the the NFL has just reached. Uh, um, an incredible fever pitch that seems to increase every single year. Uh, last year, Sunday Night Football became the number one show on television, beating American Idol. It's the first time that's ever happened, even with Monday Night Football back in its heyday. And you take a look at the schedule that you have this year. It's unbelievable, Chris, the games that you already have teed up. And it really doesn't it, – it, it, it wouldn't be shocking if every single one of these games on your schedule holds up when you take a yeah, look at well, it. You never know. I mean, you know as well as I do that that we think we know, but we don't know. You True. know. And I think it's part of the appeal of the game is that people have an idea of who the good teams are going to be, and so the schedule makers try to put the prime time games in the best games and give us a little flex scheduling. But in reality, that's I don't know how much that really mm-hmm. comes into play. Maybe once a year or something like that. Uh, but but we've hasn't we haven't reached the saturation point 
which is unbelievable. I, I mean, know. my goodness, think of the number of shows that you and I are on alone. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're, I feel like I'm on television talking about football all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm studying and I'm watching NFL Network and I'm, I'm reading the magazines and I'm listening to NFL radio. And it's like, I go, it's just surround sound in my life, you know? I mean, that's, that's, I really, I try to do that. I try to just saturate my brain with, with all this stuff. But you could literally go a month without you know, watching anything on TV or listening to anything on radio that didn't have anything to do with anything with the NFL. And that's in the off season. You know, we, we used to have the hot stove league for baseball, and I used to, when I was doing talk radio, I thought that was more interesting sometimes than the regular season because there are so many what ifs and what could be and all that kind of stuff. And, and and I think free agency and the draft prep and all that kind of stuff has made the off season almost as interesting as the season now. Yeah, yeah I mean, you got Week Seven, you got Peyton Manning returning to Indianapolis, you've got Houston. Uh, at San Francisco, which is going to be another big game for Houston. We'll be talking all week long. Can they finally win a big one in the regular season? The Patriots visit Atlanta in week four. Uh, and then your Thanksgiving night game, you've got the Steelers at the Ravens. Uh, but I want to hit you real quick uh, on just a couple of topics, starting with your week two game, the Niners at the Seahawks. Percy Harvin being injured now for, for the foreseeable future, and then who knows what he's going to look like if he can come back this year. What does that mean, do you think, for the Seahawks' chances to win it all? Well, you know, I mean, in reality, they're no worse off than what they were last year, and I thought they were darn close to being the best team than uh, in the NFL a season ago. And so, you know, this is a good young defense. Pete Carroll, I don't know how many people really know how involved he is with the day-to-day work that the cornerbacks do on, on that team. Um, and, and I think that's really a big difference with them. They, You know, they have a way of being able to – bring Cam Chancellor down and be a physical player down and Earl Thomas in the back end uh, being able to go sideline to sideline. But it gives them extra run defenders. They're fast. Uh, they can play defense. I think Marshawn Lynch is as nasty a runner as there is uh, in the game. And Russell Wilson, you know, I keep trying to tell myself that Russell Wilson isn't as good as I think he is. I, and then I went over to the Pro Bowl. Al and I announced the Pro Bowl this past year. He was the best player on the field, hmm. you know. I, so I, this is a guy, you know. He's he's sort of like Ben Roethlisberger in a way, uh, that he, but in a very different way. But you know how Ben makes big plays by buying time and moving around the pocket and all that kind of stuff. Well, Russell Wilson does the same thing, but he does it like Fran Tarkington. You know, he's scrambling around, making, and all of a sudden, these receivers maybe they're not as good without Percy Harvin. But when you get ten seconds to get open. You know, you and I could get open in ten seconds. You know, <laughs> that kind of works. So it, it, it's a uh, it's a really good team, and I think Rich and Matt, I don't know if you agree with it or not, but for the first time in a long time, it feels like the power is shifting a little bit to the West Coast. No you know, question. We're starting to see San Francisco. We've got Denver. We've got Seattle. I mean, those are really top end teams now in the NFL, and that hasn't happened in a while. I know. I absolutely agree with you there. Uh, that that said, um, another hot topic does involve an East Coast team with the Washington Redskins and RG3 saying he doesn't want to play in the preseason or he doesn't have to play in the preseason. You've got him at Dallas in week six, and you've got him hosting the Giants week 13 on your schedule. Do you agree that he does not need to play in the preseason? Um, uh, you know, is he going to be better off if he – 
did play in the preseason? I think no question. You know, should he play? You know, if you have that kind of injury, I probably wouldn't play him. You know, an extra month of not taking a hit could be significant when you have that kind of an injury. Although, (laughs) after watching Adrian Peterson last year, I'm not even sure it matters anymore. Exactly (laughs) right. So remarkable. But, uh, you know, I know you've met RG3, but uh, these young guys, I'm telling you, this may be, uh, when we look back 25 years from now, and hopefully you and I are still around to talk about it, but this class of quarterbacks may be remembered forever. I I mean, for all three of them to come in uh, and and take their teams to the playoffs, to to be the kind of people that they are, I mean, this this is... Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, quality kind of guys that we're talking about here uh, that are going to be the face of this franchise and the face of the NFL for a long time to come. I I hope they're around for 15 years each because, you know, Luck and Russell Wilson and RG3, you meet those guys, they're special. I mean, they are special people. Uh, that that we haven't seen come in this league in a long time. And I think you could throw Kaepernick in that. I know he's not from the same class technically, but he did break through in the same year that they did. Uh, do you... no, it's a good point, and, and Kaepernick may end up being the best of all. Of them. <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I, I mean, I swear, God, Rich, I'm watching this thing in, in New England. That, that may have been the best performance by a quarterback I've ever seen. It was. I can't tell you how nasty that night was. I mean, it was horrible. It was one of those, you know, the worst of all worlds when it's it's just warm enough that the rain isn't 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 snow. You know, it's like 33 degrees and raining hard, and the ball's got to be a mess, and it's just awful. And this guy was just throwing BBs all over the field. They were up like 38 to three or something on on New England in New England. In that kind of weather, and then, of course, New England, because it's Sunday night football, we set it up where they made a comeback and made it close. But it was uh, it was it was a remarkable, remarkable performance. Two questions left for you: the the, the Bengals. I know, obviously, you're uh, you're intimate with that team for various reasons, where you live, as well as also who you played for. Um, Andy Dalton's taken them two straight years, but they've they can't get past Houston. Let's put it that way uh, on the road. What do you see for Cincinnati this year? Uh, certainly for Dalton and for the organization as a whole? You know, I think you've got it in a nutshell there. Opinion is that they're the best football team in the division. I think they're better than Baltimore. I think they're better than Pittsburgh. Now the question is, is Andy Dalton, can he compete with Joe Flacco and Ben Roethlisberger? You know, that, that to me is the scale we're on here. Um, But as far as what they've done defensively, uh, the play of their offensive line, uh, Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis has helped them. You know, they're, um, they, they've improved themselves uh, in the draft. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, I, you know, this, I, I think they're the best team. I, you know, now it comes down to the great equalizer in this league, which is, and we all know it, you know, uh, you've either got the quarterback that can take you all the way or you don't. Um, and it's there for Andy Dalton, and um, you know it's it's that kind of team, and he needs to take advantage of it. Last question for you: A lot of people are taking a look at Aaron Hernandez. What's happened to him now? Riley Cooper, you're a Florida guy. A lot of people pointing at Urban, the school, and do you think that's a fair finger point at all, or are we just misplaced in that, Chris? 
I told my wife last night, I was like, I, I guarantee you, you know, because we hadn't read anything yet. We read, I, I know Riley Cooper. I know his family. I know, I know he's, it's, he's a dope, what he said. You know, it's, he's a dope. I did. It, it's so offensive and it's so wrong. And he's, you know, I sometimes, and you and I have been around the bend long enough. I've had uh, a few things in broadcast I'd like to stuff back in my mouth as soon as they come out, and I'm sure Riley fits in that category. But he's going to pay a heavy price for this one. And, um, you know, do I think that, that Urban Meyer somehow created what Riley Cooper said or what Aaron Hernandez allegedly did? No. Do I think that, you know, he uh, may be guilty as a lot of coaches uh, in this uh, in college football are of pushing the envelope on the kind of person that you would have brought into the university if it weren't for <laughs> their ability to play football yeah you know i think i think every coach does that and i think every every uh, school has people that uh, they probably wouldn't want to have in their college otherwise so uh, you know i i think the nfl has to look at that and i think college football has to look at that you know but unfortunately, the standard by which these head coaches are judged is a very simple one: Do you win games or don't you? Mm-hmm. And you know they're not they're not giving out prizes to the best guys, and and you know that's the balancing act that that all these guys live with. Chris, I appreciate it greatly. I know you, just like uh, many others in the business, have dwindling free time before this thing hits, and you're heading to Canton, and you're doing the Hall of Fame game, and then off we go. So I really appreciate the time you've given. Uh, my pleasure, Rich. Uh, looking forward to seeing you up there, We'll buddy. see you in Ohio. That's Chris Collinsworth on the Rich Eisen Podcast. So Chris Collinsworth, um, interesting comments, obviously, on the University of Florida program. I mean, that was sort of a no-brainer question to ask him. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting, you know, the, the commissioner who's here talking about Heads Up Football program in Ohio, his partner in, in uh, announcing and promoting it is Ohio State coach Urban Meyer, who yes. is the coach of Riley Cooper's and Aaron Hernandez's and he's, you know, getting beat up because yeah. these guys years later are running afoul of, you know, law and society in the case of Aaron Hernandez and leaving his senses in the case of Riley Cooper. Uh, decency and 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 um, it's a tough thing to common. I, I, I hate Ohio State as much as anyone, but to put shift blame on Urban for something that guys do six years after leaving your program. I agree. I, agree. I mean, I, from what we all heard, it wasn't the tightest run program down there. So you know, there's a little bit to blame on that, but you can't connect. Well, that's what Collinsworth a and said B too. And make C. So. Um, and as we are sitting here now, word has it Riley Cooper is now has now left the Eagles, for a where he has left the Eagles and he's going to go seek counseling away from the team, and it's interesting how that has devolved, where he did speak to his teammates and Michael Vick did uh, did Cooper a solid a let's put it that way solid. because he could have buried Riley Cooper yep. for good. But um, he was talking about second chances and how he's going to give him one, et cetera, et cetera. But clearly, the rest of his teammates, uh, a Sean large... McCoy didn't, didn't do him any favors. Well, I mean, he's talking his mind. He's speaking yeah, his mind. Which he has a full right to do. But if anyone knows about second chances, it's Mike Vick. And if he's going to give someone a second chance, you know, he Well, clearly, to... there needs to be some more healing going on yeah. with that team. And uh, so Cooper is... Uh, the question is, when would he return? 
but um, that's sort of one of the breaking news items that's happening uh, on this day. We might as well, since we're posting it same day, um, yeah. that's what's happening in, in Philadelphia. And um, Did you see the, uh, the letter that Aaron Hernandez wrote yes, as well? Yes, to a pen pal saying that he's completely innocent. <laughs> well, we'll see. We will see. And um, we will see, and he will have his day in court. Yes. It doesn't look good at all for Aaron Hernandez right now. But as, as, as Collinsworth said, to, to blame it all on Urban Meyer on the program is one thing. But that there, you know, that many coaches go ahead and bring kids into a school that they ordinarily wouldn't because they want to win football games. Very true. And, um, but clearly not everybody that was involved in that, that, that program was, is somebody that, was prone to violence or saying something totally pig-headed and racist. So um, all that said, uh, it just was interesting to me that Urban Meyer's been sitting there as commissioner was addressing Riley Cooper and addressing Aaron Hernandez. And um, of all people that's part of this program, it's Urban Meyer. Uh, Let's move on now to our Hall of Famers. We're going to go back to back. We're going to go Jim Kelly and then Howie Long. Pleased to have on the Rich Eisen Hall of Fame special once again, second time back on this show. Good to see Hall of Famer, Pro Football Hall of Fame 2002, Jim Kelly. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, that's playing. That is that is a, you know, sometimes it's just something you say, how are you? But that is a legitimate, full-on question for you, where you just recently had surgery for jaw cancer. Yeah. It's interesting because you come here. And you don't want to say anything around those guys. They've all been through it. I mean, from the knee replacements, hip replacements, everywhere they've been. So you just pretty much keep it quiet. But uh, what was good about, you know, just coming here now is how many people were really, you know, thinking about me during those times and praying. And, uh, and you don't forget that. And I didn't forget every letter I received, every email I received. Uh, it, it makes you feel good. It makes you get, you know, through that day, that particular day. So... Well, you look great. I mean, what, what, how do you feel right now, uh, Jim? External, it's fine. Internal is a little different. But um, anybody that's ever had, you know, cancer to jaw, um, they pretty much removed my whole upper jaw and seven teeth. Uh, you know, I think everybody lives and breathes to have that beautiful smile. And uh, the one thing I say, I've lost 20 pounds, and now I've, I think I have better teeth than I had before. So <laughs> yeah. I'm doing all right. You're doing okay in that regard, huh? <laughs> I can't what happened? Were you just go to the dentist and you found out, or how, how yeah, did this well, come about? Yeah, um, well, it was the dentist the first thing, and then I just kept having a, a smell, musty, moldy smell on my uh, my left side of my uh, nose, and I went through six antibiotics. They thought it was just you know an infection, and from that infection, uh, they found that I had a major cyst leading into my nasal cavity that they had to remove, and once they removed that, they did some biopsies, and the first biopsy came back negative. And then I went and got a second opinion, and that was when, because I knew everything, it, it continued to get worse, and it was, getting, it was hurting, and the infection seemed to still be there. And then, of course, I went for a second opinion, and they took different parts of my upper jaw to send in for a biopsy, and then it came back uh, cancerous. And then the rest is history. I had to go in for surgery, and they removed uh, pretty much my whole upper side of my jaw, pulled seven teeth. And uh, my first CT scan is next week to make sure the cancer is uh, gone and it's cancer-free. But it's a long process, but I thank God that um, I'm here and I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah, why are you here? I mean, I know you love coming here, but this has been a year that you could have easily yeah. got given yourself a pass, Jim. Well, two years ago I couldn't make because I had major back surgery. You know, two plates, ten screws. Uh, last year I couldn't make because I had neck surgery. This year, another one. And 
The thing is, I could be here, and it's the 50th anniversary of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I knew our owner, Ralph Wilson, was going to be here, and I haven't seen him in a while. And just to see him and visit with Marv and some of the guys that, you know, that I just idolized. You know, we, we just had the Ray Nitschke luncheon, and they kept talking about, you know, how special it is for the class of 2013 to come in. And I remember when I was inducted, I walked into the Nitschke luncheon, and I looked around the room, and I saw Merlin Olson, Joe Namath, uh, Deacon Jones, you know, just Gail Sayers, just so many guys that I watched and never in a million years ever thought that I would be in the Hall of Fame. And some guys I listened to in the room talked about dreams they dreamt that. I never dreamt about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I think I was like a lot of little kids. I dreamt about playing professional sports, not ever knowing if I could come in, you know, from a little small town in Pennsylvania called East Brady. And then all of a sudden I'm in the Pro Football Hall of Fame with these guys. It's something that uh, I cherish, but I also look back and so blessed I had some great people around me to help me get to this point. Right, and those, those teammates of yours are wearing the same jacket you are. Yes, What's that are. like looking around seeing there's Bruce Smith, there's Thurman, there's, there's uh, Coach Levy. Mr. Wilson. What's that like uh, that your contemporaries are also yeah. immortalized like you, Jim? And, and the thing is, when you have a career like we've had in Buffalo, you don't know how people will look at you, not only as a team, but as an individual, that you didn't win the Super Bowl. But the more we're removed from those games, the more people that said, you know what, I was one of those guys that didn't pull for you. I was one of those guys that you know thought that, I can't believe they're back in the Super Bowl. But now that I look back on it, I'm in awe of what you guys accomplished. There's so many people I talk to in this room, and, and I hear it every year, that they wish they were in one Super Bowl and win or lose, and we went to four. It'd be different if we went to one and we skipped a couple, but the mental preparation, the mental aspect of going to those games and being able to count on Andre Reed and Thurman, Ken Hall and Cornelius Bennett, Daryl Talley, making sure they were still mentally into the game. And to do it four years in a row, win or lose, that will never happen again. And I can honestly say, and I am so proud to say I'm a Buffalo Bill. Obviously, you've got all your guys who are here in yellow jackets, and there's a bunch that, that people are still pounding the table for. You have the floor. Go for it. Well, Andre Reid. I mean, I, could, I didn't mean to stop you in the middle of that. No, it's but uh, what, when I talked to Chris, Chris Carter, who got in this year, and then I heard Lynn Swan in the Nitschke Luncheon talk about he holds the record for a, uh, a player taking the longest to get in. He was 14, he, 14 finalists for 14 years straight. Now I look at Andre Reid, now I look at his numbers. How do you get in as a wide receiver? Catches, top catches during his era. Consistency, played six, 15, 16 years every single year, averaged what, probably 50, 60 catches every year, was one of our main ingredients for us to get to those Super Bowls and to make those playoff runs. One of our leaders in the locker room. I can go on and on. Why he's not in is a sin, it is. And now look at Tim Brown, you know, same way. But now that Chris Carter's in, I think that opens it up for Andre or Tim Brown. And of course, being biased, I think Andre not only deserved being before, but I think he has a very good shot of him coming in next year. What about the current Bills, Jim? What do you think now? I mean, two years ago, it's a totally different cast yeah. when you and I spoke. I know. And um, now it's um, new coach, new GM. 
who's the quarterback? Let's just start with, <laughs> with that first, the quarterback situation, as they're trying to find somebody to fill even half your shoes yeah. in Western New York. Jim. You know, I've watched some uh, mini camps. I saw what Kevin Cobb did. I saw what E.J. Manuel, our you know rookie who's coming in, our draft pick. They both look like they have it. Um, E.J. is just a specimen. I mean, you look at him throw, you look how he runs, his strong arm, his mentality, how he goes about getting you know, ready for practice. It, it makes you feel good inside because I haven't had this type of feeling in a long time. Not to say that they're a Super Bowl caliber team right now, but I think with Doug Marone and the enthusiasm he's brought to this team, I mean, you got to remember who our last head coaches were. And, and I loved him to death, but their way of coaching was different. I mean, Chan Gailey, you know, more of a laid-back guy. Dick Duran, pretty much the same way. And now you get a guy like Doug Marone in here. Nate Hackett as your offense coordinator coming from Syracuse College atmosphere and added energy to a team that lacked that. And I just got a whole new side of me thinking, is this the year they finally turn it around? I thought maybe last year to a certain point with some of the guys they brought in, but it starts with the quarterback. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you can talk about defensive end, you can talk about your running back, your receiver, whatever the case may be. But it comes down to whose hands are under the center. Can he take this group to the next level? We will find out. Well, whose hands do you think should be under center? I am not in every meeting. Uh, I don't know what they do every day. I am heading to a training camp uh, here very shortly. Um, and I probably could give you a better indication in a couple weeks. Sure. But right now, uh, you know, Kevin Cobb is an experienced guy. He's a guy that's been through it. He's, he knows the pace of the NFL. He knows exactly what it's about. He did get injured last year against the Bills. He was having a pretty good year. It's a new offense for both of them. It wasn't like Kevin's coming into a system that he's had for two, three years. They're both coming in with a totally new offense. And right now, I don't really know who that guy would be. If it happened to be Kevin Cobb right away, why not? But they drafted E.J. Manuel for a reason, and that is for the future. So Kevin comes in, maybe holds on to him for a couple of years, gets us to the playoffs. You never know where it's going to go. But the bottom line is, I just want to see teams come to Buffalo in January, not just December. They come in January, that means we're in the playoffs, which is a big plus. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you, do you dream of being a player still when you close your eyes, head on the pillow? Do you, do you dream sometimes that you're back on the field at all? Jim? You know when I think I'm back on the field is when I try to crawl out of bed in the morning. <laughs> the neck, the back. Oh, geez. Um, I will always be a kid when I start thinking about the game of football. I've had a football camp for 27 years, and I cannot go out there without going in there and playing seven-on-seven, seven, playing flag football with these kids, whether it's the Bantams, whether it's the juniors, or whether it's the seniors. I try to go easy, but when you're a competitor, you can't go easy. I mean, I'm throwing, I'm throwing lasers in there. I mean, my laser's a little not quite as good as it used to be, mm -hmm. but it, sometimes you get that competitive, uh, you know, competitive spirit in your mind and in your heart, and you want to go out and show these young kids you can still do it. And I, I don't think I'll ever lose that, and I hope I don't. Jim, you're the man. It's so great to see you. You look awesome. You look awesome, and so many people. We're hitting NFL Network too with, you know, let them know yeah. we're, we're with them, we're behind them, and you look great. 
I appreciate Great that. To Thank see you. Here. Always good to see you, bud. That's Jim Kelly here on the Rich Eisen Hall of Fame special. Pleased to have on the Rich Eisen Hall of Fame special, Hall of Famer Canton class of 2008 time Pro Bowler. You watch him on Fox every single Sunday. Good to see you. Good to Howie see you. Howie Long. Yeah. How's everything? It's good. It's a, it's a good time of the year. It's, uh, you don't think about the Hall of Fame a lot during the course of the year. Uh, and coming back here is a, it's, it's like Christmas every year. It's, it's, it's a great reminder of what you're a part of and all the great players are in the room, the history of the NFL, uh, players that you admired, revered, tried to model yourself after as a player. It's, it's a great week. And from a fan's point of view, it's pretty, pretty cool how they always announce the class the day before the Super Bowl, the day before you crown a champion, you now introduce a new pack of immortals before a team achieves something like that it's the a next tough day. Week. It's and a tough week for, for who people are waiting to get yeah. in, right? It's a brutal week, and, and I, feel for, I feel for guys. You know, Len Swan was talking about, you know, 14 years being a finalist. 14 years. You think about Len Swan. You think about John Stallworth. You think about Franco Harris. You think about Terry Bradshaw. And I could go down a list of defensive players. I think my first year in the Pro Bowl, uh, I don't know how many Steelers were on the team, but it was loaded with Steelers. And I was a big fan of the Steelers. Uh, the game has changed a great deal. It's gotten bigger, stronger, and faster, but the way the game's been played uh, has changed a great deal, too. Uh, Len played in an era where they might throw the ball 20, 25 times. Now they're throwing the ball 40, 50 times yeah. a game. Numbers are inflated, uh, so it's hard to gauge that position. But everyone took a different journey to get here. You know, some from Grambling, some from Villanova, some free agents, some guys from Alabama. Uh, some played on great teams, some didn't play on great teams. Uh, some people took the Lewis and Clark route to get here. but. Uh, once you're here, you're a part of a remarkable group of men. Yeah, and, and, and the neat aspect of it is that then the enshrinement takes place at the start of the season. So you're celebrating the past as you're celebrating the present right. and future of a football season. And this season, you have two kids in the National Football League. Maylocks. That's <laughs> two kids. You've got Chris yeah. in St. Louis, mm -hmm. and you've got Kyle now yeah. in Chicago. What's this going to be like for you as you go about your daily routine and your business going on Fox? And then you got two kids now. It's hard are, for it's it, hard to really, you know, and, it, and it's really it's no different than having a kid playing little league baseball or high school football. It, it's the same. It just happens in front of a lot more people. Uh, my feelings as a dad, the kind of angst and excitement and fear and all the the rainbow of emotions that go into watching one of your kids do anything. It's the same rainbow of emotions that John Smith has watching his son play high school football. It's no different. We're all, we have the common kind of bond of being parents. And my feelings as a parent, just because I played the game, uh, are no different than John Smith from Des Moines. Mm -hmm. uh, it's exciting. It's scary. It's... Uh, What's scary? Well, you know, every... You, it's a, it's a lot of, it's a simultaneous car wreck uh, in a lot of instances. And, you know, get up, get out of the pile. Uh, is he okay? Do I see something? Well, that would be, just from a, a point of view from afar, the, I guess, normal parent reaction. But in a way, you've 
I mean, you're wearing this jacket. You've right. been in those, those I guess, car wrecks. Yeah. So the question is, is do you know more than what I guess somebody who hasn't played? Uh, and that adds to that level of anxiety that you know more than others or the fact that maybe you're just like everybody else just have a gold jacket on well i think it's i think it's a combination of both i think that common ground that you have with every parent who mother or father who's watching their son or daughter play it's the same it's the same feeling i've been behind the curtain i know there is no wizard i understand the price that's paid for playing the game and the carnage, both in the short term and the long term. My perspective at 53 is totally different than it was at 25 when I thought I changed on the way to work in a phone booth and I thought I was, if not the baddest guy on the planet, one of the top five, at least. But to see your son go through that or your sons go through that is a whole nother deal. Uh, and you have kids. Uh, as parents, I think we'd all welcome taking any kind of adversity, pain, suffering from our children. Uh, but, and we didn't push football, uh, the ironic thing was. Really? We didn't push it at all. Uh, the only thing that I did say was, once Chris came to me and said, and I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday, you have those conversations like you have with your wife, I'm sure. The lights go out, you're staring at the ceiling and you're worrying about your kids and you, you kind of address the day and the days to come and all the concerns that you have. And he said, I want to play football. And I, whew. How old was he? 13, 14. Okay. Uh, and I said to Diane, I remember it like it was yesterday, I said, you know what, he'll get his nose bloody and he'll come home, he won't want to play. Boy, was I wrong. Uh, and my one thought process was, I can't help you with your chemistry. I can't help you with your geometry. I can t show you how to hit people and throw people around and play the game the right way. So I took it upon myself to coach all of them in high school. Uh, and I thought that was important, at least to get the foundation, you know, why farm that out to somebody else? Uh, and, and I always felt that it was really important to do. Um, and with Chris, you know, he, I want to go play Division I in college football. You know, boy, he started slow in high school, became a great player. Uh, goes to Virginia, and Diane and I said, you know, wouldn't it be nice if at some point during the four years he could get on the field. Hmm. And we had these conversations and we were very real about what our expectations were and we loved our son one way or the other. Uh, and once again, started out slow in college, became a great player. Uh, gets drafted, number two in the draft, great. Uh, what are the expectations in pro football? Again, you know, be nice if you just had a, a, an okay career and, and, and did okay. And once again, started out slow and has become the kind of player I think he wanted to become. And is in the process of, and Terry said this to me when he was drafted by the Rams, and it was an interesting observation. He was a part of a franchise that was downtrodden for many, many years. Being a part of turning around something that's been bad for a long time is far more rewarding than just hopping on a bus that's going 55. You know, pushing that bus, getting it started, getting it rolling, a little momentum. And I'm happy for Chris that when you survive that many head coaches, that many regimes, and, and do that. And Kyle uh, is a totally different bird. Uh, he's. Uh, Isn't that way kids are? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, they really right. are. All three of the kids are different. Same house, same love, right. same, you know 
dysfunctional parenting, you know, however you want to phrase it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kyle is one of those guys, and we've all kind of said it from when he was four, just, wow, you know, he's different physically. Uh, and he took the Lewis and Clark route to get here. Uh, and I'm so happy for him. Uh, I just burst out talking about him because it's been a long road for him. And then November 24th. Which is a whole nother. One another. I've seen that movie. Only it was at the kitchen table for a lot less money. <laughs> That's right. It's Thanksgiving weekend. It's every night, Rich. Right. Uh, my poor right. wife, male dogs, three male sons, uh, you know, just a, it's a melee every day. It mm-hmm. was for a lot of years. And uh, fortunately, I have a remarkable wife who's a remarkable mom and loves her sons a great deal. And uh, I've been questioned at the emergency room because a lot of people don't know this. When you, when you go to the emergency room a certain number of times within a calendar year, you get red flagged. And, and, and this is the truth. I mean, the long household has always been kind of a physically animated home. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so you constantly so now they get paid sh- for it showing up right but by the way I was literal it is Thanksgiving weekend that yeah, that, that Kyle and yeah. uh, and Chris will be on the opposite sides of uh, a line of scrimmage yeah and you know I know that they're not ball carriers I know that they're not like the Mannings with that aren't going to be on the field at the same time but they yeah and, and you know what could I, be going against each other I've here. always been really sympathetic to the Mannings and and how uncomfortable it is when you know they're playing against one another, competing uh, in that way, but they're not hitting one another. It's a totally different deal when you're assaulting one another, uh, and there's great potential for that to happen. Uh, and that's kind of the unfortunate reality of it. But I, I will say this: uh, the brothers all love one another a great deal. Uh, I hammered that home. Uh, look around the dinner table. This is who you got. These are the people that will jump in front of a bus to save your rear end. Nobody else will. Uh, and they know that. So your third son is, is currently working for the Raiders, yes. you said? Yes. He's in the Raiders staff? How, it's Howie Jr.? Is that, is that No, Howie, Howard Francesco Long. He's, okay. His middle name is after uh, my wife's dad. Okay. Francesco Adonisio. Okay. Uh, Fantastic. So yeah. he's working in the Raiders organization yes. right now. What, I'll give you the floor here. I know last time we saw you was on a Thursday night game. We were in the black hole last year, and it was just another difficult trying season. Yeah. There's a ton of changes <clears throat> with Mark Davis in charge. Yeah. Uh, now it's year two, same guys, actual same general manager, same owner, same coach. Yeah. What do you think of the direction of the Raiders organization? Right I love, the, I, I really love the direction. Um, and I, you know, I've said this before, I think many of the moves that were made in Al's final years were moves that were made out of desperation to win right now. Uh, some of them paid off, a, a lot of them didn't. Uh, and and I've always, I always understood that about Al from when I was a young player, uh, consumed with winning and, and uh, championships and that's what it was all about. Uh, it's gotten off track for a number of years. The organization as a whole I think needed to be, for lack of a better term, updated. And I think it has been. I think Reggie's done a, a really nice job of 
updating the uh, scouting department, uh, the draft philosophy. Uh, they still have to deal with a lot of the cap issues that are a byproduct of some of those moves that were made uh, and the draft picks that were given up. Uh, the coaching staff has, uh, I think, uh, a good direction to go in. Uh, and I think it's a direction that's, it's one, it's one organization, one team, one staff, and, and I think that's a good, good direction to be in. So who do you have this year? Who do you, who do you, who do you got going to the Super Bowl this year, Howie, as we're sitting here Hall of Fame weekend, I know we haven't... Outside of the Raiders? Outside of the Raiders, I like it, yes. Let's flip a coin between the Bears and the Rams. <laughs> I've spoken like a true dad. Fantastic. You know, I, I, I think it's, uh, if last year is any indication, uh, two-thirds of the way through the season, did anyone see Baltimore? Nope. No. Uh, how, how many minutes into the Denver game did anybody see Baltimore? Right up until... The blown coverage. Second and 72. The path the pass that will live in infamy. Yes. Did anyone see Baltimore? No. Uh, the blackout, the, you know, the 49ers are certainly a team that I have a great deal of respect for, and I think they're certainly a front runner uh, in the NFC. I, I really believe that. And, and Peyton came within a, of a remarkable comeback. For him to have, you know, having my neck, you know, having my neck surgery and understanding what that entails and how you tend to blink uh, when you didn't blink before. It's kind of like it's days of thunder, drive through turn three, through the smoke, put your foot on the gas, trust me, you can make it. Uh, it's that kind of commitment, uh, that blind leap of faith. And for Peyton to do what he did last year is nothing short of remarkable. And to come that close and now to improve a little bit, and I've, they've had some issues with injuries, but. I think Denver has to be a front runner in the right. AFC. Um, so you like Denver and San Francisco, essentially. Yeah, you know, I, I think you could, Seattle's another team that I like a lot. Uh, that NFC West is a bear right now. Uh, no pun intended. Nice. A bear. I like it. Yeah. So you mentioned your one son's division and then you right. make the bear yeah, reference. Sure. See, that's knee jerk sure. right there. Yep. You don't even think about that. Instinctive. Now, lastly, you talk about the Lewis and Clark route to get to the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Which started in Charlottesville, Virginia, by the way. For, for you. Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark. Yes. Oh, okay. From... A lot of people don't know that. See? The statue sitting right there with Sacagawea kind of cowering in the background, which is really ironic. I like it. Because she is... was such a big role player in that whole journey. Role player. She, Sacagawea really was. was a role player. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. She was a factor. No Let's question. Put it that way. No question. So your Lewis and Clark route to the Hall of Fame began at Villanova in a yeah. way. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, you were recruited by Boston College. Yes. And you chose not to go to Boston College. You went yeah. to Villanova instead. And who was the person who showed you around Boston College to try and get you to go to Boston College that eventually led you to Villanova? Who was that person? I knew Mike Mayock before the flashy suits, <laughs> before the big contracts, before the hair change. Nice. I knew Mike Mayock before there was money. I knew Mike Mayock when he was a Philly boy. Nice. Mike recruited me to Boston College. I've known Mike since I was 16 years old. Uh, and it was a colorful group at Boston College. Uh, we've been dear friends for a long time. Uh, Mike's one of those guys, all kidding aside, and there's not a lot of them. You're in a bad neighborhood, it's a snowstorm, you got a flat tire, it's one o'clock in the morning. Who you calling? Mike's one of those guys you call. 
Out in L.A., me and my wife, we call it a 405 run. You're stuck right. on the 405. <laughs> you're See, on the 405. Anyone, it's 405 anyone, in the morning, and you're on the 405. Anyone who migrated yeah. to California from the East Coast yeah. and complains about anything is soft. No, no. <laughs> you know, oh, it's I'm like, soft. No. I'm soft. I'm not. I'm not. I, I, oh, I, oh, Howie, it took me about six months to leave uh, Dodger games in the seventh inning. Right. Oh, I've always being from the East Coast, I ripped on it's all those a LA cold fans. Today, it's in the fifties. I know. Oh, I've, I've, I, I plead guilty to that. Right. But no, that's what my wife and I we call it. Four oh five, friends. It's four oh five in the morning. You're on the four oh five. Who do you call? Now, Mayock, Mayock is, you know, a guy that you basically got out of the car pulling into campus as a sixteen year old, and yeah. he's the one who met you. Yeah. In Boston College. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, no cash. Nothing other than, you know, friendship, mm-hmm. promised. Mm-hmm. That's about it. If there was some cash, maybe I'd play <laughs> BC. <laughs> I love it. No, I went to, you know what? It, it turned out as, as it turns out. It, you know, one, I, I go to Villanova. I, I have a great experience. It was a challenge, as Boston College would have been, socially, academically, financially. Uh, met my wife there. Uh, she was a classics major. I wasn't. Uh, she was on the debate team. I wasn't. Uh, she went to law school. I didn't. Uh, my grandmother wanted me to get out of Boston, uh, and I think it was a good choice. Philly and Villanova was really a great choice for me. Well, this is going to air, but let's act like that wasn't the reason that it was Mayock who just couldn't close the deal you on want behalf of Boston College. Let's pretend that that was the reason why you right. went to Villanova. Because that, that, that would be fun if I could spread that around NFL no question. Network. No know. question. Uh, you know, and, and somebody said that. I, I forget who it was that said Could that. Could have been me. No, I, I heard it on radio or TV one time. Yeah. They were talking. might have been you. Could have been. It might have been you. Yeah. If you were that good, you would have closed the deal. <laughs> that was me. I love poking. Tell you the truth. I went in the sh- I, you, you know, you're there as a recruit. I'm 16. I, I think I had barely some hair under my armpits. And, you know, here's this offensive line from Boston College. They all have tattoos of eagles on the rear end. They're in the shower. I'm like, my God, these are grown men. I couldn't go here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, was, uh, Mike was great. And I, he's, a, he's a guy that, uh, you know, we, we as a family consider to be a good friend. He's a good guy. You know, he feels the same way about you. He talks uh, that way all about you. Hey, listen, Howie. Pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, you bet. pleasure. That is Howie Long here on the Rich Eisen Hall of Fame special. Howie Long, Jim Kelly. You can uh, watch the television version of it on NFL Network Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Chris Law, thank you very much for everything that you've done here. Absolutely. It was a fun, fun time. Who else are we thanking from the we got to uh, thank Matt Wechter. He helped us out a lot uh, with securing the room. Mm-hmm. Pete Fearley, our guy Joe Horrigan, and uh, Christy Davis, who's been... Who's sitting right here? Hunkering down, showing you some good. Uh, yeah, I mean, good stuff. Tune into the special because we uh, we stroll around the archives where we're shooting this TV show and taping what we're conversation right now is next to what they call, I guess, the two dimensional archives here. Yeah, where it's all pieces of paper, um, playbooks. You uh, tweeted out a photo guides uh, and and uh, former tickets cards. I tweeted out it. They have all the draft cards since 1997. Sitting here, so I plucked out Tom Brady's draft card, the actual draft card. 199. Yeah, and as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to tweet out Ryan Leaf's draft card. <laughs> yes. Why not? We'll see. Why not? We'll see if that gets retweeted the most. I thought one of the coolest of things you pulled out though was that uh, 
Elvis Presley wrote a letter to Pete Rozelle. Well, he was part of a group of Memphis individuals that sent a telegram, a telegram. to Pete Rozelle extolling the virtues of Memphis as a future market for an NFL team. And at the end, there's a bunch of guys whose names are listed and signed, not hand-signed, but telegram. It says Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley. I know. And so uh, all those neat items that I, I tweeted out about, and we're about to head down to what they call the three-dimensional archives, yes. which is footballs and helmets and jerseys. Um, we'll just poke around. Because apparently of all the material that's here, in the archive of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, only 5% is on display. It's crazy. For the, and and for this the place just got a huge renovation and has a ton of new so stuff So maybe there'll displayed. be new space to, to, for that stuff to be displayed eventually. But So the 95% will kick the tires on. Absolutely. And that'll be Wednesday night. Yes, we've got to thank Chris, too, Brockman back in L.A. and Stacey Garcia. For, do we have to thank Brockman? We don't really have to no, thank Brockman. Throw he would just bus. throw me under the bus if he were he here. Would, and I he would. Here. So why don't you do the same, Yeah. which I just did. Um, and uh, so on Tuesday, we post our 10 millionth download show. Yes. Okay. That is Larry freaking David. Yes, Larry David in studio. And then uh, on uh, Wednesday, we tape Matt Damon, who's coming in to promote his movie Elysium. And we'll post that later next week. And who better to start another 10 million downloads with and the guest of Matt Damon? Last time we had Matt Damon on, he was in the New York office. He went to league headquarters. Yes. And our friend Chris Vasala, who helps us out a lot, gave him the tour. And he wanted to go up to where the rings are. He got a great photo of Matt Damon with all three Patriots rings on one he's hand. Good. He's a fan. He's, he's as big a fan as anybody else. Yep. He just happens to have an Oscar in the, uh, in the trophy case. Yes, he does. And um, so that'll be next week. A lot of fun next week coming up. And then the uh, kickoff special that's going to air Tuesday, September 3rd on NFL Network. Third guest, Kevin Costner. Yes. So we've got, uh, we've got a lot of fun in store on the podcast. But for the moment, I uh, want to thank everybody here in Canton, Ohio. We will see you next week from back in our Los Angeles studios. Signing off. And for all of us here at the Medill School of Journalism, thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. Stay listening, friends.